Imagine what it would be like to traverse across the very land where Jesus once walked. Some of you in this room have done that. You've been to Israel and you've visited many of these holy sites. Imagine, though, walking along the streets of Capernaum. Walk in the very streets where Jesus performed many of his miracles. Imagine what it would be like to take a boat out onto the Sea of Galilee, the very waters that Jesus walked upon. Imagine what it would be like to take a a horseback ride from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. That is exactly what Philip Brooks did in 1865. Come nightfall, he found himself in the middle of of the field where it is believed that the angels appeared to the shepherds and declared that a Savior had been born in the city of Bethlehem. He looked across that field and shepherds were still tending their flocks hundreds of years after that encounter. Mr. Brooks would then attend the Christmas Eve service at the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. That day he would be inspired to write a children's poem that was later set to music called Old Little Town of Bethlehem. In the first verse of that, and we sang it a second ago, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee. Tonight. This morning we are continuing our sermon series entitled The Songs of Christmas. Last week we looked at Mary's song. Today we're going to look at Zachariah's song. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to, to read of an encounter that Zachariah has with the angel Gabriel. And we know um, that, that with this encounter is going to come the revelation to Zachariah that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. And he is to name that child. John. And John would be the forerunner of the Lord. So I'm looking forward to our time together. If you recall last week, we looked at how after Mary um, had her encounter with the angel Gabriel, she left Nazareth and she went to a city in Judea is what we're told, and she goes to see Elizabeth. And whenever she and Elizabeth get into proximity of each other. John the Baptist, who is in, in Elizabeth's womb, what did, what did the baby do? Leaped with joy, didn't it? And that is what should happen when you and I get into proximity of other believers. We should rejoice in the Lord. We should rejoice in our salvation. We should rejoice because the Lord lives and reigns in our lives. We should rejoice because we get to play a part in salvation history. And we should rejoice because you and I have the opportunity on a daily basis to drink from the wellspring that is God's Word. And we looked at that last week. So just a reminder, as I read um, in our opening time this morning from Malachi chapter 4, um, there was about to be a period of, of, of utter darkness over the land that would last for 400 years. There would be no prophet of the Lord. There would be no new word from the Lord for 400 years. And we know that this period was an extremely dark period. We know that idolatry ran um, rampant throughout the land. And, and it was, it, there, there was a remnant 
of course, of godly people. But there were not a great deal of godly people left in the land during this 400 years. But there were still some godly men and women. We know that the Christmas story is full of such men and women. Mary, we, we read last week that she was highly favored. Joseph, we are told, was a just man. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, we're, we read these words about both Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. You know, Zechariah was no ordinary man. He was a priest of the Lord. He was one of about 20,000 men that had the opportunity every um, once a year, for about two weeks out of the year, they would go into um, Jerusalem to fulfill their priestly duties. And if they were lucky enough, it would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but if they were lucky enough, they would have the opportunity to go into the holy place to offer up prayers and incense before the Lord. And Jewish tradition taught that the priest who had the privilege to do that very thing would be rich and holy all of the days of their lives. Well, on this particular day, the day that Zechariah has an encounter with the angel Gabriel, he was the one that was lucky enough and privileged enough to enter into the holy place to offer up these prayers and incense before the Lord. And here's what happens. While in the holy place, he would have this encounter with the angel Gabriel. Gabriel would tell Zechariah that his prayers had been heard, and Elizabeth, his wife, would be with a child. Notice what Gabriel said about his son. In Luke 1.15, we read these words, For he will be great before the Lord. Man, can you imagine getting a word from the Lord? As you realize that you are, 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 are pregnant or that your wife is pregnant and is going to have a child, and to hear a word from the Lord like, like um, uh, Zechariah did, where he heard that your child is going to be great before the Lord. Man, what, what, what encouraging words that must have been for Zechariah. But that wasn't all that he heard. We also are told in this passage of Scripture that he would be filled, John the Baptist, that is, would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And, and we know this because we read about this last week, that whenever Mary enters into proximity of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, already full of the Holy Spirit, leaps within his mother's womb. We are told that he would be used of God to turn people back to the Lord. He would go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When Zechariah heard these words, did he leap with joy? Did he celebrate? I mean, was he pumped up? No. What we're told in Scripture is Zechariah actually questioned the angel Gabriel and said, how is this possible? You know, Zechariah is advanced in his years. Elizabeth is advanced in her years. Elizabeth has been barren all of the days of her life. And, and now all of a sudden this angel comes up and says, hey, your wife is going to have a child. And, and this would happen in her old age. Note to self. If an angel of the Lord ever appears to you and tells you that something supernatural is going to happen through you or within a relative of yours, don't question. Don't question because you know what happened to Zechariah? He questioned the Lord and immediately he was struck mute. And for, for over nine months, 
Zechariah would remain mute, unable to speak, unable to converse with Elizabeth, unable to, to testify of the encounter that he had with the angel Gabriel, he was struck mute. And Zechariah would remain mute until eight days after John was born. It would be on this day of John's circumcision that the day in which John was to be named that the Lord loosened Zechariah's tongue. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 62 through 65, we read these words. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened. He spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah remained mute for about nine months. He has not been able to speak a word. But when he is able to speak, did you notice what he did? And he immediately began to praise the Lord. He immediately began to worship and praise and testify of what the Lord had done. May we get to the point where our first response is that we praise the Lord. That we praise the Lord in the morning that we praise the Lord in the evening. May that be our response during the good times and the bad times that we find it in our hearts to praise the Lord. What we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at two points. We're going to look at several um, sub-points with each one, but we're going to look at this song that Zachariah sang after this moment where his tongue was released. Notice first the mercy of the Lord. In Luke chapter 1, I'm going to just invite you, just leave your Bible open where you're at. But we're going to walk through verses 67 through 80 together this morning. But the first thing that we see here in verse 67 are these words. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, the first thing that we see Zechariah do is he begins to prophesy. Now, Zechariah was not a prophet. He was not a prophet of the Lord. He was not a prophet of the Lord, but his song would be a prophecy from the Lord. It would be a testimony of what the Lord had done in his life. You know, when I stand before you, I don't stand before you as a prophet. I stand as a person who prophesies of the good things that the Lord has done um, in and through his word and how you and I can provide application in our own lives toward these things. What we see is... Zechariah prophesizing of the Lord, of his goodness. These words came out of an overflowing heart. You ever experience an overflowing heart? Does your spiritual cup ever runneth over? You know, as, as David is, 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 is pinning the words from the 23rd Psalm, that, that Psalm that we often reuse and make reference to and read during funeral services. In the middle of that Psalm, King David writes these words, my cup overflows. You know, sometimes that's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to have a cup that is overflowing all of the time. But we've got to find ourselves to the very best of our ability 
ability, daily drinking from God's wellspring so that our cup can indeed run over. Now, there's going to be times that we're up on that mountaintop, and you know when we're up on that mountaintop, what happens? Man, our cup just fills up and fills up, and then what happens? That cup runneth over. But there's also times that we walk through the valleys of life. Man, that's where life happens a lot of times. That's where life is, is hard and tough, and you get those hard diagnoses of being sick, or you find out a relative is sick, or you experience marital problems, or work problems, or relationships problems with your kids. That's what happens down in the valley. But it was as David penned these words, as he was in one of those valleys, that he says, my cup overflows. Our cup can still overflow even if we're in the valley. Man, when we're in those valleys, let's fight hard. Let's find ourselves, when we're in those valleys, drinking from the wellspring of God's Word so that our cup can indeed run it over. Notice these words of prophecy that Zechariah declares. He speaks first of, of the Lord's visitation. In verse 68, we read, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. The first thing Zechariah does, he praises the Lord for his coming. As mentioned already, the world was dark. It had been thrust into a dark period in human history. Probably one of the darkest periods of all times. And it was during this time that Zechariah would receive a revelation from the Lord. In this period though, before this, there was no hope in the across the land. There was no peace. But with the coming of Jesus, that would all change. That would all change because the supernatural invaded the natural. Heaven came down to earth. Notice also that Zechariah prophesies of the redemption of the Lord. In verse 68, again, the latter part is that says, For he has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah is telling the people here that the Lord was not coming just for a checkup. He wasn't just coming just to check out things, to check to see how things were going. You know, oftentimes, every couple of days, I'll go up to my kid's room and I will do a room check. And if their rooms are not clean, they get an earful. And one of my kids, initial CW, pretty much 100% of the time, her room is not clean. So she gets an earful from me. Um, but, but when Jesus came and invaded the natural world, he wasn't just coming for a room check, was he? He wasn't coming just to check up on his people. He came to redeem the lost he came to redeem us and provide salvation for us. He came so that we could place our faith and trust in him. Jesus came and invaded the natural, and he came to provide redemption for our sins. He knew that we were a people in desperate trouble and in need of a glorious Savior. As we celebrate Christmas this year, let's not get so caught up in the commercialism that we fail to remember why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because it's a time in which we celebrate when Jesus came and invaded the natural and provided a way that all of us can enter into an eternal relationship with him. We celebrate Christmas because God became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to redeem us from our sins. Notice next, Jesus came to provide salvation. In verses 69 through 71, Zechariah would speak these words. And as and has raised up a horn 
of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You know, we read here that, 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 that a, a horn of salvation would be raised up. These words tell us that salvation is God's work. Salvation is from the Lord. He reached down and provided a way that we could enter into an eternal relationship with Him. It is an exalted salvation. The Lord raised up. And we also can gain, garner from these passages of Scripture that it is a powerful, omnipotent salvation. The horn is a symbol of power. Think about animals that have horns. Think about, uh, um, you've got a, the deer in its horns. You've got the ram in its horns. You've got the rhinoceros' horn, and then you've got those horns there of the moose. Man, those horns are powerful, aren't they? They are used for, for, for a reason. They are used so that these animals can defend themselves from predators. Whenever Danny and I went on our honeymoon, we went to Banff, Canada, uh, I guess about almost 22 years ago now. And they had half of the city taped off because there were moose everywhere. And they told us, do not go on the other side of this tape because those moose are not very happy this time of the year and they will kill you. Those horns are used for a reason, to defend themselves and to protect themselves. And we're told right here that, that the Lord will raise up a horn of salvation. One commentator wrote these words. He says, the, the horn is not a musical instrument, but the deadly weapon of a wild animal. It symbolized both strength and victory as the animal's strength is concentrated in the horn. Likewise, the Father's divine strength is concentrated in Christ, who has gored Satan, pierced death, and gutted sin. This power saves us and protects us. Notice also, Zechariah prophesied about the Lord's compassion. In verses 72 and verse 73, we read, To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. You know, there are some times when, when we need to just kind of reach back and remember the moment of our salvation. Am I right? Have you ever been in that place where you just are so frustrated and, and man, things are just not going your way and you just kind of need to just take a step back and reach back to that moment of your salvation or maybe reach back to a moment in time when, the God, when God showed up and did something supernatural in you or through you? You know, there's times when we need to do that. Martin Luther experienced frustrating days in his lifetime. And, and he wrote these words, um, or, or one commentator said these words about him. He said of Martin Luther that he would say to himself over and over, I am baptized, I am baptized. He affirmed that whatever was happening to him at that moment, he was a child of the covenant God. A child of the covenant God had made with his people. In this song, Zechariah makes reference to the covenant the Lord has made with his people. The prophet of old declared, they spoke of a day when God would burst into human history and dwell among us. And we know that that happened. 
We call that the first advent, that God came and dwelt among us, prophecy fulfilled. And we also know that there's coming another day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return for his church. And if he proclaimed it, it's going to happen. And there is going to come that day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and return for his church. The next thing that we see here is that Zechariah also prophesied of the Lord's graciousness. In verses 74 and 75, we read these words, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Now, you and I are saved by grace. It has nothing to do with us. It's 100% God saving us and forgiving us and cleansing us. We are saved by grace, but we are all saved for a purpose, aren't we? We are saved in order to become Christ ambassadors. We are told in verse 74 here that we are saved to serve, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we read these words, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no man may boast. No one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Notice this. We are his workmanship. Okay, notice what we are created to do. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace, but we are also saved to work. We are saved unto good works. Those who are saved by God are able to serve God, and as we see in this passage of Scripture, are able to serve the Lord without fear. In, in, in 2 Timothy 1.7 we read, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Regardless of what the enemy is trying to do outside the doors of this church or inside the doors of this church, inside your home or outside your home, you can serve the Lord without fear. Satan is going to attack. He's going to shoot those fiery darts our way, but we know that we can serve the Lord without fear. We are also able to serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. That's what all of us have been called to. And we've all been called to live a holy life and a righteous life, a life that is in right standing with God the Father. We are also able to serve before the Lord, meaning we serve the Lord, with, and as we do that, we're an open book. You know, we may be able to fool those that are around us. We may be able to put the right smile on and say all the right words and do all the right things and fool a lot of people that are around us. But there's one person that we can't fool, right? And that's the Lord. We are promised in this passage of Scripture that we're able to serve before the Lord in holiness, in righteousness, as an open book as a clean vessel that the Lord can use. And we are also told here that we are able to serve the Lord all of our days. All of our days. Meaning what? means this. From the moment of your salvation, from that, from that rebirth occurrence in your life to the moment that you take your final breath on, the, on, on this planet, you have been set apart for a purpose to serve the Lord. 
what that means is there is no retirement when it comes to God's kingdom. Yeah, you may retire from, from a physical job, but you never retire from the kingdom work that all of us have been called to. And that's good news to know that, that as long as we have breath in our lungs, we are still able to serve the Lord and we are still able to impact the Lord and we're able to make a difference within this world. The final um, point that we have this morning is, our second point is this, the prophet of the Lord. You know, I love the transition that occurs within this song. Zechariah goes from, from vertical worship with the Lord to becoming a joyful, joyous father. He knew that his son was no ordinary son. His son would be like no son ever born. In the first part of Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus spoke these words about John the Baptist. He said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Zechariah knew that there was something special about his son. He knew it not only from the revelation that he received from the angel Gabriel, but he knew it because the Holy Spirit dwelt within him and he was able to speak on behalf of the Lord, amongst the people of the Lord. John was special, and Zechariah knew that. In Luke chapter 1, verse 76, we read these words. Zechariah says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. John the Baptist was given a gift. Or Zechariah was given a gift. And that gift that he and Elizabeth were given was John the Baptist. He was a gift given to Israel as well. Notice his message. Zechariah prophesies that he will preach a message of forgiveness. In verses 76 and 77 we read, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John preached a two-part message. He preached a message of repentance, prepare your heart, get ready, because the Lord Jesus Christ is about to come. And he also preached a message in which he told the people that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, meaning the super natural had invaded the natural get your hearts ready and get ready because it's time now to begin living your life for the Lord is basically what we get from the message that John would preach in Matthew chapter 3 we get a glimpse into this message that John preached it says in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You know, this message he preached 2,000 years ago is the same message that needs to be preached across every church and amongst every pulpit in the United States and around the world. You know, we're not hearing messages very often these days about the need to repent of our sins and to get our lives ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of our churches are no longer built upon the Word of God, but upon the Word of man. You know, man makes a bunch of empty promises, right? Man will say, you do this, you do this, and you'll get that. Well, what does God's Word says? If we don't build our churches on, on, on the principles found within God's Word, 
then, then we're building a bunch of empty buildings that, that, that are full of empty people that aren't built upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, on Monday and Tuesday, I had the opportunity to begin taking um, my doctoral classes at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And during one of our small group sessions, the president of the university, um, um, Dr. Kelly, came in. And he came in and he shared with us as a class some, some, some staggering statistics. Now, most of us are familiar with this if we've been a part of, of the church for a while. But he talked about specifically the Southern Baptist Church and the decline that we are seeing across the board within the Southern Baptist Church. He said that, that the church has been declining in attendance for some 17 years now. Salvations are down. Baptisms are are down, and he, and he spoke to us about the need in, of, 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 a, of, a, of a renewed urgency within our churches to preach messages of salvation, to preach, preach me, evangelistic messages, and to be churches that are going to, to make disciples who then are going to go out and make disciples. You know, that's not anything new to us. We know these things, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And that's what Dr. Kelly reminded me of this week, that we need to be about making disciples. Not only do we need to make disciples, but we need to make people who are going to go out and make disciples as well. We need to be people that are going to preach salvation, that are going to give people opportunities to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in rooms like this, but also in, in, in our homes, in, in our places of employment, and amongst those that we do life with. You know, there's a real hard issue happening in the church and outside the church today, and there's only one person who can fix the heart, and that is Jesus Christ. This message that John would preach would also be a message of hope. In verse 78, we read, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. You know, the message John preached would be a message of hope. With the coming of Jesus meant a new day was dawning. There was a new hope. There was a renewed heart and a renewed vision. There was a new hope, a hope for a better life and a better future, and a hope for eternal life. Do you remember the phrase that, that Bill Clinton often used as he campaigned for president? He said, I still believe in a place called hope. You know, he could say that because he was from Hope, Arkansas. He believed that his presidency would provide for a better America. Folks, no man. No woman, no politician can provide salvation for a nation. Only Jesus Christ can do that. You know, the Roman government could not provide salvation to the people of Israel. There was only one person that could do that, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize that this morning. There is only one person that could provide salvation to all of mankind, and that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the supernatural, left heaven full of all of its glory and came and dwelt among us to save us and to forgive us, to, to redeem us and to give us a hope and a future. And you and I have the opportunity to take this message to a lost and dying world. In closing this morning, 
the message was also a message of peace. In verse 79, we read, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The world was dark. The world was without hope, and there was no peace. Jesus came. And when he came, he illuminated the night sky, and he gave people hope, and he provided for people peace. Just as he came 2,000 years ago to do that, he still does it today. Now, the latter part of O Little Town of Bethlehem goes like this. For Christ is born in Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together, Proclaim the holy birth and praise this scene to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast our sin and enter in, be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, O Lord Emmanuel. O come to us, abide with us, O Lord Emmanuel. The Lord Jesus provides peace to the restless. Do you need to experience the peace of the Lord this morning? You may feel like your life is hopeless. And I want you to know it's not hopeless because you have the opportunity to enter into a relationship with a glorious Savior who came and dwelt among us to provide a way for us to enter into an eternal relationship with us. Jesus became a bridge. He, he, he unified broken man with holy God. This morning, some of you need to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to do that very thing. We're going to enter into a time of invitation this morning. And if there's a decision that you need to make, if you need to come this morning, placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, and I want to invite you this morning to come and to do that very thing. The Lord may be leading you and your family to make Friendship Baptist Church or a church home. If that's the case, we'd love for you to make this church or church home. I'll be standing here at the front. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. In closing this morning in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, we read these words about John the Baptist. The song is over, okay? And the next thing we see are these words. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let us grow in our relationship with the Lord. Let's grow to be strong, mighty ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lost and dying world that is in desperate need of Jesus, and we have the hope and peace of Jesus if we are followers of Christ, and we can take that to people this morning. Let's stand together. And if there's a decision that you need to make, I want to invite you this morning to come. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning just acknowledging that we are men and women in this room that, Father, need to regularly be reminded of the importance of of going 
and coming before you and your word and drinking from the wellspring that it is. Father, I just pray right now this morning, Lord, for all of us in this room. Father, I pray for those in this room, Lord Jesus, that it feels like the world is just caving in around them. They feel like they have no hope. They feel like they have no peace. They feel like they have no future. And Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit will just indwell them. Father, I pray that if they don't have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation, the day that they repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in you. And I pray that today will be a new beginning for them, a day in which they can begin to live their life for you. Father, I pray this morning if there is some here, Lord, that you are leading to make Friendship Baptist Church their church home, that they will do that this morning as well. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. And Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit will move during this time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.